This morning we're going to begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. As we're turning there, I just want to thank all of you who prayed through our time of praying and fasting that uh, there were several prayers answered concerning uh, people that we were focusing on and praying for, so we're grateful for that. Um, I want to continue that this week. Uh, Cade was talking with Alicia Copa this week, for those of you who know the Copa family. Uh, just... Uh, Continued concern and everything for uh, her children and her husband and that uh, God would reach out to them and reach her husband and her children. So she has three children. If you don't have a matter of their Dorlisa, Dorcas and Daniel. So, um, and, uh, so we're going to continue seeking the Lord this week. And fasting and prayer and uh, starting tomorrow and anyone would like to join us you're welcome to join in. not not only the ones i mentioned but also many that we know among us loved ones that need to be saved that each of us need to be saved so just uh, mention all that so we're in second chronicles chapter 20 beginning in verse 1 This is when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And it happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And then came some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazan and Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, and the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might? so that no one is able to withstand you? And are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they, have dwelt, and they dwell in it, and have built, your built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let invade Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming up to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. And O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, 
nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And in this story, there's a great story, and the answer comes, of course, and Judah is delivered from this great multitude. Well, there's a couple things that we can take from what we read here that are really important. And the first one is, is that Jehoshaphat, when he heard this message, this report, it says he feared. He was afraid. There's this great multitude from Syria, Ammon, there's all these different countries. They're joining their armies together. And they're coming to wipe wipe us out. They're being threatened <coughs> with being destroyed. And of course, he feels fear. But it says he set a fast. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast for all of Judah. And you know, if you read the book of Acts in the New Testament, you see that there was this coming together of the church to seek God for different things. When Peter was arrested... It says, all the church sought the Lord continually for his release. But there was this continual seeking of the Lord. They got together for praying and seeking God and fasting. And all these things were a regular part of church life. If you read church history, the early the history of the early church, it was a practice of the early church to fast two days a week as a, as a church. It was traditional for the early church, to fast. Tuesdays and Fridays was the days that they had chose. I'm not saying that we have to do that, but it's important to understand our heritage, our past of Christians before us, and how they sought the Lord for different issues. When there was a problem, they came together and sought the Lord. You know, should we circumcise the Gentiles uh, and make them keep the law of Moses? You know, what is God's will? It says they came together and sought the Lord together, had a council together in Jerusalem. So we understand that there was times of seeking the Lord together. And that was a regular practice of the church and should be a, a regular practice for us. And it says that all Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord in verse 4. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So there's a gathering together, much like you see in the book of Acts, a gathering together of the church to seek the Lord together. When the, when the disciples were, when the apostles and the disciples were persecuted by the, by the priests, they came together and they, and they praised God and they sought the Lord that God would, uh, do signs and wonders to uh, confirm his word and so forth, to testify to Jesus. There's all these examples. And he says in verse 12, O God, will you not judge them for we have no power against this multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You know, the Apostle Paul says that at one point in Second Corinthians chapter 1, he says, 
We were pressed beyond measure to the point where we despaired even of life. He says, but these things happen to us so that we would learn to trust in God who raises the dead and not in ourselves. Put our faith in the power of God and not in ourselves. And God brought storms into people's lives, as we read in recent weeks, so they would learn not to trust in themselves, but in God. Because here were situations where it was beyond their natural ability, their self-sufficient, our, and our nature, which is tries to uh, work out our own deliverance. And sometimes we can't figure it out. And this is such a case here. Why does God allow these things? As Paul said, it's so that we have a f- change of focus. And you see the focus here in Jehoshaphat. We don't have any power. Again. This is too many people for us to fight against. Our eyes are on you. And that is where our focus needs to be in everyday life. Our eyes to be upon Jesus and not upon ourselves. And God is allowing circumstances to come about so that it hap- so that we do turn our eyes to Jesus and not figure it out ourselves and push panic buttons. You see that Jehoshaphat was afraid here, but you don't see any panic here. Here's a man of faith who's learning to trust God. He says, he proclaims a fast, his eyes are on the Lord. Our eyes are on you. You know, and so... They take it from there, and then God answers their prayer and delivers them just as they prayed for. I was listening to the words of the song we were singing today, the last song, uh, about there's not uh, a friend like the lowly Jesus, you know, and, uh, and how he will help us, and has he ever forsaken his saints? I was just going on, I was just reading that and taking notice of that. And it's so true that, you know, that God has promised to help us. And our eyes should be upon him. When we have no peace in our heart, when we are in turmoil of our soul, no matter what it is, it's because our eyes are not on him and his power. It says, well, that sounds a little bit simple, a little too simple. But that's really the truth. That we take our eyes off of Jesus. That's why the song we sing that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We turn our eyes on Jesus to look to Him for our help. As our Savior from our sins, as our helper, as our provider, as our comforter. And in one place it says, He is our peace. He himself is our peace. And that's why we say today, are are, are our eyes upon Jesus? So yeah, we are now because we're in church. We're talking about Jesus and we're reading from the word of God and our eyes are on Jesus and we're singing songs about Jesus. But what about yesterday? What about tomorrow? Are we setting our heart to seek him as Jehoshaphat did? 
So, well, there's nothing really bad happening in my life right now. No, really. That's okay, because troubles will come, and trials will come, and uh, fears will come, and anxieties will come, and we want to prepare for them so that we're not, you know, <laughs> you know, becoming a train wreck and then having to fix the train, you know? We want to be, you know, ahead of, ahead of it instead of, you know, cleaning up behind. We want to be one step ahead of the enemy. We want to be one step ahead of our trials, and... Looking to Jesus every day. Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow. We may hear news about bad news about tomorrow, fearful things about tomorrow. We hear bad news on the on the news all the time. The price of natural gas I heard a couple weeks ago going to double by the end of the winter. You know how are we going to pay for that? You know it's like. But it's not, the end, it's not the middle of the winter, it's today. But if we're worried about the middle of the winter, we just give that to the Lord. Our eyes are upon Jesus. So how am I going to pay for this? What am I going to do about that? How is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? You see, that's not, our eyes are in the wrong place. Our focus is not on Jesus. Our focus is not on the Lord who gave us life, who gave his life for us, who provides for us every day. You know, we sit down to eat our food every day, but we, we pray, we give thanks for it, and but are we really coming to understand that it's not just because we got it from our job and we got a paycheck, and but this was from God's hand. That God provided everything for us. And we should be grateful and thankful. That's why the Bible says, And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us, concerning you and me, is to be thankful in everything. And so, as we look at the Word of God, and we look at our life, we should be giving thanks in everything. Thanks in the good times and in the bad. Thanks for all he's done for us and all he is doing for us. And all that he'll do for us in the future. If we trust him. In Ephesians chapter 5, as we turn there. Begin in verse 8. For once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The New American Standard Bible and the New International Version say finding out what pleases the Lord. 
What pleases God? And it mentions before that all these things about Christian living. But if we could sum up what pleases God, Jesus was asked in the Gospel of John, He was asked, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? And He said, This is the work of God, to believe on Him whom He has sent. To have faith in Jesus. That's doing the work of God. Everything that we do, we're called to do by faith. The just shall live by faith. Life is about living in faith to the Christian, where it's supposed to be. Where the trouble comes is when we're not. Believing on Him, that's the work of God. uh, We're serving the Lord. Finding out what pleases the Lord. What does please the Lord? And we find out, as we go to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, Hebrews eleven five. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For because he, for, but for before he was taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. So we think, well, what did he do that he pleased God? He must have been really holy and did everything right all the time. That God just took him away. And, you know, wow, this this must have been a great guy. Such purity in his heart and everything else. And he says, because he, he pleased God, what is it that Enoch did that he pleased God? The next verse connects with that. It says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God if these two things aren't present within us. We must believe that God is who he is. And we must believe that God will reward us if we diligently seek Him. And that is the challenge of faith. That is the challenge of our hearts. Do we believe that if we diligently seek God, that He will reward us for it? And to me, this is very challenging to understand who God is. And what God is really about. Because in Christendom, there's many people in Christendom who do not seek God and, and, and pray to God the way they should. It is a prayerless spirit that is infected Christendom. And it's not just for this generation. I've listened to preachers for generation past who talked about how there was such prayerlessness in their congregations. And a preacher that went and preached a seminar to other pastors, and he asked them, 
How many of you pray for one hour a day? And no hands went up. And half hour, he said one one hand went up. And 15 minutes, a few, and just went down. And, and to the point he says, well, how many of you honestly are not praying every day? And there were many hands that went up. This was the leaders of churches who were paid pastors at that time. And this was in the 1800s. And he mentioned they were, they were that many of them were on salary by the congregation, and, and they were not. They were suffering from a perilous spirit because they were doing all these things and doing all this ministry work and everything else, and they couldn't find the time to pray. There were so many demands on them. What's the root of that? Is there really a belief that if we seek God, that God will reward us? If we diligently seek Him, if we take the time to seek Him, or the or if we don't believe that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be hard in our hearts, and we're not going to be. If we don't believe God will reward us, we're not really going to be seeking Him the way we should. We're not really going to be walking in faith the way we should, and we're going to have that prayerless spirit. Because we don't believe there's anything good's going to come from it. We're not convinced in our hearts that God will reward us. And guess what? If we're seeking to find out what pleases God, this is what it says here. In Ephesians 5, it said we're supposed to be seeking, finding out what pleases God. And we find out right here in Ephesians what pleases God. That we believe that he will reward us. That we believe that he will reward us diligently seeking him because if we don't believe he will reward us we're probably not going to diligently seeking seek him if we don't believe he will reward us for diligently seeking him we're probably not going to diligently seek him i know that sounds like double talk but think about it and so it is impossible to please god Unless we believe he is the God of this word, and that his son and his son Jesus Christ. Those things are obvious and all over the new the old and the new testament. We must believe that he is. But we also must believe that he will reward us. You notice that it doesn't say that we must believe he will diligently seek us to please him? That we must diligently seek him to please him. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we must diligently seek him to please him. It says we must believe that he will reward us for diligently seeking him. Because many people will diligently seek God. Sometimes they say, well, God's not doing anything. But are they believing that he will reward them? Do you remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was talking about people who were praying so others can see them. Praying in the marketplaces and in the corners of streets. He says they have their reward already. He says, but you, he says, when you pray, he says, go into your closet, he says, and pray in secret. And you Father who hears and sees you in secret will reward you. There is a reward 
for seeking God? Do we believe it? Because if we don't believe that, he won't re- he won't we won't please God. Pleasing God is about believing what he says. When he says, ask and you shall receive, do we believe it? And you know, <clears throat> people will time and again undo that in their minds and in their hearts by saying, well, we don't know if it's God's will. You know? We don't know if it's God's will for him to heal that person. We don't know if it's God's will for him to help me here. We don't know if it's God's will for this and that. Well, the Bible tells us to ask and we shall receive, to ask in faith. If it's not God's will, well, then he'll show us, like he showed Paul when he had the thorn in the flesh. But until And Paul was praying in faith until God showed him now. So that's why it says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. With boldness. And if we're asking amiss, we're asking it's not God's will, he'll show us, but until then, let's exercise our faith. Whatsoever things we ask for in prayer, believing that we shall receive them, Jesus said, and we shall have them. He said, have faith in God. Our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are on you, Lord. We need this here. Our eyes are on you. We need help there. Our eyes are on you. Don't forget the words of Jehoshaphat. Our eyes are on you. That should be our focus in our in our daily life when we're confronted with anything and everything. That our eyes are on you, Lord. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Cast our burdens upon the Lord because he cares for us. From there, um, we go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, same chapter before that. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our heart, I mean, having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The words that stand out to me in this passage is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You know, the one thing the enemy of our soul is looking to do is destroy our faith. Faith in the blood of Jesus for our salvation. But, first of all, attacking 
to destroy our faith in God for our daily life, like we're talking about, and eventually to get to our faith in Jesus. The Bible says that many suffer shipwreck concerning the faith. Paul talked about a few of them who suffered shipwreck concerning the faith. But it talks here, coming to God in a new and living way, through the blood of Jesus, and drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts washed, our conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You know, there's many people in Christian that I've heard say, boy, I hope God will accept me. Or, you know, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I hope God accepts me. Um, when I hear that kind of stuff, I, you know, the first thing that comes up in my mind is that I wonder whether they really understand the gospel, what the gospel message is. That God accepts us through the blood of Jesus. If we have faith in the blood of Jesus, is that oh, I'm trying to do everything that God tells me to do and salvation is by faith, not by works, lest any man boast against God. Through faith in the blood of Jesus, that's where it is. And so salvation is about faith and living the Christian life is about faith. Doing what God, doing what pleases God. Doing the things and abstaining from, from all carnality. We do that by faith. We don't find that power in ourselves. We find that through power in the Holy Spirit by faith. By faith in God. By faith in the cross. It's from faith first from beginning to end. Not in our own strength. When the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's for eternal life and it's for this life also. <clears throat> Do we have that full assurance in our hearts that God has accepted us based on His, the, the work of Jesus on the cross, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus? Do we have a full assurance of faith that God has accepted us into the Beloved, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. Is there a full assurance of faith? Full, or is there a question? We have to make peace with God through the blood of Jesus. That's how our peace with God comes. In verse 35, <clears throat> Therefore do not cast away your confidence, <clears throat> which has a great reward, <clears throat> for you have a need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And this goes for salvation, and this goes for the things that we're hoping for by faith in this life. The things that we pray for. We have a need of patience. Follow those who by faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Exercise our faith and be patient. And as we pray, we learn to be patient. 
in our prayers. And not to be moved by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. In Ephesians, it also says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. If we're looking to Jesus, if we have a full assurance of faith in our hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 9, I believe it is, chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline or beat my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or cast away. Paul talks about faith as a race, both here and in other places. He talks about it as a fight. And he talks about both of them here. He says, fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4. At the end of his life, he says, I finished the race, I have fought the good fight, and I have kept the faith. Faith is both a race and a fight. And we that have been Christians for a while know that and have experienced that. That is, this is a race. Not a short race, this is a marathon. This is a long endurance race. And we must endure to the end, Jesus said. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And so, when we see here that he says that athletes, he says they are modern all things. They really train really hard, especially today. You look at the training that athletes do in in high school and college and professional athletes, how they train, it's ridiculous. And, you know, they're so dedicated to it and, and to have such self-control of their body. You know, they eat the right thing and they exercise the right muscles and they do the right stretches and it just goes on and on. Such dedication. And Paul uses this dedication and this training of an athlete to show us about running the race of faith and fighting the fight, disciplining his body, training his body to do its right, just like an athlete trains his body to excel in his sport or in his athletic competition, whatever it is. And you see that happening here, that Paul is teaching that, to exercise our bodies, or disciplining our bodies in such a way. He says he 
He trains his body by beating it into subjection, is the term that he uses. Uh, he says, I discipline my body in, in the New King James, the Old King James Version says, I beat my body into subjection. Either way, you understand what he's saying. What do, what do you mean, disciplining your body? You don't let it do what it, you say. You know, when we discipline our children, it's to say, you're not doing that. You're going to do this. You know, whether it's giving them time sitting down in a chair or, you know, disciplining them by paddling them or whatever disciplining we're doing. Now, they, we do it so that they do the right thing and not the wrong thing. Well, the same thing comes with our body. Paul says we discipline our body and make it our servant, our slave. So it does what's right. That's why you discipline children to make them do what's right. We discipline our bodies to make them do what's right. You don't give them give the body things that are wrong. You give the body things that are right. We don't we we don't uh, we practice moderation. We don't overindulge. We practice purity, and we practice um, self-control in all things. We control our temper. We control, and we discipline our body. Well, how do we do that? But fasting and prayer is one thing. And just not, just practicing self-control in all things. Moderation in all things. Let your moderation be known to all men. That's what it's talking about. Being self-controlled in all things. You know, it's like, you know, we see our body when it is. No, we hold it back. Self-denial, sacrifice. We want to do this, but somebody needs help. Sacrifice, self-denial. <clears throat> so you see what, a little bit of what Paul's talking about. We could go on talking about that all day, but you kind of get the idea of what he's talking about. So, we remember once again the words that are in the Gospel of Mark, that because of the unbelief of the people of his hometown, it says that he was not able to do much, uh, many miracles there, much work there. And he said he was astonished at their unbelief. The disciples asked Jesus why they could not cast out a demon that was in the boy. He said it right out, flat out. It's because of your unbelief. And he said, but this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. We have to deal with our unbelief. And that's the message in what we're reading here. And we have to feed our faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We don't have time to meditate and read on the Word of God. If we faint in the day of adversity, the Bible says our faith is small. We want God to enlarge our hearts. How does God enlarge our hearts? By taking heed to Him, to believing on Him, to growing as a Christian. Lord, there is no power against this great multitude, Jehoshaphat said. 
but our eyes are upon you. I'm going to turn it over to Dan here and the other brothers that want to comment on this. I think that's then uh, what we all need to hear to just believe God. But the question that comes to me, I guess we can all else ask ourselves, what am I actually living for? Am I living for myself? Am I hoping to, to get certain things accomplished in my life? Uh, that has to do with my ambitions. Or am I living for Jesus and what he wants accomplished, to accomplish in my life? And um, I just thought about, you know, what Ron was sharing here about faith and uh, trusting Jesus. And James, it says, And first, uh, first chapter, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And that is something I have been made aware of again and again in my life, is I like patience. I like, you know, I want to get things done now. That's what I want to get it done now. But God, well, take, take for example, praying for my children, praying for my friends, praying for my neighbors. I want to see something happen now. But I have to believe in God and trust God that he's working things out and knows he knows the hearts of everyone he knows what's going on we see the outside we see what people look like what they act like and all that and uh, then we can be judges instead of people of faith <laughs> And uh, I just really like that, what Ron read in, in, in Chronicles about Jehoshaphat. We, we have no power. We can't do anything against this big company coming against us, but our eyes are on you. I really love that because that's where God has to bring me into a situation where it looks... Humanly speaking, hopeless, but now I must simply trust God or go nuts, something like that. <laughs> you need to push the buttons. Yeah. So, let us take to heart. You know what I like to what I like to share with people that it looks hopeless. What I like to say to them is. Hey, God loves you. He's talking to you. 